Hold on, okay? Put on your seat belts. There might be turbulence on the way. But let to the Lord who steadies the boat. The Lord who stills every storm. The Lord when he gets into the boat. We can be absolutely sure the boat will reach the other shore. Even this hour, as we look into the word, let us commit ourselves, our body, mind, soul, our spirit, soul, body, into his hands and pray, Lord, touch me. Touch me, Lord, touch me. Help me to be still in your presence. Help me to put aside every other voice that tries to distract me, the voices of the world. Help me to put it all aside, O God, that I might hear the voice of the one who spoke in a still small whisper to the great prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb. O living God, speak to us once again. Speak, Lord, for you alone have the words of life. Speak to us. I pray, Father, during the ministry of the word, your spirit will take the word and impress into the hearts of each one. According to their age, according to their capacity. And when they leave, we leave, each one will be fed, full and satisfied. Feed us today, Lord. We pray for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. A portion of the message will be from, because most of you were in there, so it doesn't matter if you, when if you hear it again. Most of you were in there for the pastor's conference. So part of the message will be from the second half, the afternoon part of this pastor's message. And then we continue to what's, what's not spoken that day. Scripture in the Gospel according to John in chapter 1 and verse 17. It's an oft-quoted verse in this church and uh, we know it so well. Scripture says, the law was given through Moses or I would prefer NKJV, okay, NKJV. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What came through Moses? Law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When you hear the word law, remember the whole law is the truth of God. But in that law is this Levitical law which is connected with ceremonies. That has passed away because it was all fulfilled in Christ. So when Christ the substance came, the shadow ceased. But there is in the law, the spirit of the law always which is the truth that never passes away. Okay, so understand when the word law is used, it doesn't mean the law is gone away. What it means gone away is the ceremonial law. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. We don't celebrate those feasts. We don't do the Levitical offerings because all those was a shadow and the substance was Christ. And when Christ fulfilled it all and ultimately fulfilled it by going to the cross and being the Passover Lamb of God, they lost its relevance meaning. So that has passed away. But the truth in the law will never pass away. Why? Because like we 
keep hearing over and over truth cannot pass away because truth is not the way the world thinks or even we think truth is a person the very person of god and he does not pass away he does not change so jesus came full of grace and full of truth full of grace and full of truth so there is this perfect balance absolute balance which is what we need in life full of grace full of truth so if like we looked at if jesus came with grace and truth and his entire ministry was a ministry of grace and truth how could he minister that way because he was full of grace and full of truth and we see the two titles given to the holy spirit in the new covenant is he is the spirit of grace and the spirit of truth so when you ask of god lord fill me with the holy spirit ask him to fill you with more grace and more truth more truth and more grace each day so there has to be balance if we speak only of grace we will become totally unbalanced on the liberal side that is where god understands everything if we only speak of truth we become unbalanced on the other side that we become very judgmental pharisaical kind of a church so grace and truth has to be balanced truth is connected with god's justice and righteousness grace is connected with god's love his mercy his compassion and his power to deliver understand these two sides truth is connected with god's justice and his righteousness his justice his judgments his righteousness all this is connected with truth Grace is connected with his mercy with his kindness with his compassion with his love and his power to deliver who have been judged by truth If there is no truth then there is no need for grace you Need to understand that okay why do you want more grace if there is no truth You need grace only if you accept truth where there is no truth there is no need for grace that's why jesus says i have come to save the sinners not the righteous if you have declared yourself righteous then there is no truth in you and if there is no truth in you you don't require any grace grace is only for the one who is judged by truth and acknowledges constantly yes in the light of truth i am a sinner he is the only one who will know the need for grace Like we looked earlier the Hebrew word remember truth is connected with judgment justice and righteousness the Hebrew word for both justice and righteousness is the same is the same it is the word called zedek you may not think you may not know it but actually you know it that is from where we have melki zedek melki zedek means king of righteousness king of righteousness and he dwells in jerusalem which means the city of peace so melchizedek is the king of righteousness and the king of peace and if we do not have righteousness if we do not seek righteousness and we do not receive the righteousness of god peace won't be there because they are conjoined twins you cannot have peace without righteousness because melchizedek rules from jerusalem 
the first time we hear the term righteousness is in Genesis 15 and verse 6. This is the time when Abraham been in the promised land for quite a number of years, maybe seven or eight years. And remember he defeated those armies, the three armies, combined armies, which had defeated the four kings and taken Lot as prisoner. Abraham took his 318 servants, aligned with the local chieftain, went and defeated those armies. On the way back, Melchizedek met him, blessed him, gave him wine and bread. And then Bera, the king of Sodom, tried to seduce him with the wealth of this world. He said no. And after that all is over, he's sitting in Mamre, outside his, inside his tent, probably fearing. You know, after you've done a great thing, you fear. You know you did it by faith, but then you start wondering, what if those three kings come back with a big army because scripture is very clear at a time when kings go to war. This was ancient practice until modern democracies came in. Soldiers have to fight to remain as soldiers. So every king went to war during the season of war. It was connected with keeping his armies fit, conquering and getting more wealth. Today what we have is military exercises. Simulation, real military exercises where they use real weapons and real armaments. Why? To keep the military fighting fit. Old days they went to war. So Rombard scripture says at a time when kings went to war, what did David do? He did not go to war. Kings go to war. Abraham must have been sitting terrified in his tent wondering if those kings come back. What will I do? What will I do? He was sitting there fearful. That's when the Lord appears to him and says, Abraham, do not fear. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your reward. At that time, Abraham makes this statement. What is the use? I have no children. What is the, all this prosperity? I have nobody. This Eliezer, that servant will ultimately take it all. That is when God takes him out. So it is night. It is not day. We know from the context of the story, it is at night God appeared to him in the tent. He takes him out and tells him, take a look at the skies. Can you count the stars? He says, no. Millions spread around in the night sky. It's not a Hyderabad sky. It's a Canaan sky. 4,000 years ago, absolutely clear. No mist, no pollution, no fog, nothing. Absolutely clear. One end of the spectrum to the other and filled with stars. He said, can you count? He said, no. He said, your descendants will be like that. The very difficult thing for a man to believe when you are almost how many years old? 80, 83, 84 years old. He says, that's it. And scripture says, he believed in the Lord. What did he believe? He had a reality on which he could believe. That was his body and the body of his wife and the fact of time and history that I've been married for 25, 30 years probably. My wife has never conceived. Now she's past the age even of bearing children. That is my truth. Then there is another truth that is removed from this. That is what God has spoken. He says, your children shall be like this. What shall I believe? My truth or your truth? 
That's the walk of faith. Do you believe your reality or do you believe what God has spoken? And God is truth. He's not a man that he should lie. And God is always true. So scripture says, when he believed in the truth of what God had spoken, God said, you're righteous. Zedek, you're righteous. Are you seeing it? When God counts us as righteous, Every time we believe what God says, it is very difficult to believe in our normal reality. God says, I count you righteous because you have believed in my truth, which is the only truth and not your reality. Our reality may be very true to us, very true to us. But years later at the age of 100, he will realize God is true. And what he said has become a reality now. At the age of 100, he becomes a father. So Abraham is declared righteous. And God says, when you and I believe what God says, and not what we see, or what we feel, or what we hear, not the wisdom of the world, or the opinions of the world, when we believe what God has spoken, we are declared righteous. So remember, truth is intimately connected with the justice and the righteousness of God. Keep this in your minds, okay? Because we'll start expanding on this. Truth is intimately connected with the justice and the righteousness of God. And grace and truth go hand in hand. Very oft-repeated examples, that is for those who have been here for years, those who have come recently, we have to repeat the same old truths over and over again. Whenever people came to Jesus, he never, he always asked them, what do you want? What do you want? That's what I also have learned now. People come and say, Pastor, pray. I said, what do you want me to pray for? And then suddenly think, oh, I went to Pastor, I didn't know what to pray for. Okay, pray for my spiritual growth. It's a very dangerous prayer to ask for. Break him, mold him. Otherwise you will never grow spiritually. Put him through the furnace, burn him seven times over. You want to be me pray over you like that? So before you come to be prayed over, be very careful. What do you want? What do you want? I want this, I want this. So take it, go. But whenever people came for salvation, salvation, is connected with the righteousness of God. You are saved only when you are declared righteous. And to be declared righteous, we need to allow the judgments, the justice of God, the truth of God, encounter us. We have to encounter truth. When we acknowledge that, then only God can declare us righteous. So when Nicodemus comes in the night and tries to flatter Jesus by saying, Rabbi, I know you are from God, all these miracles, he says, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You haven't come for a discussion, right? Nicodemus didn't come for a sign, for a miracle, for a wonder, for a healing. He didn't come for any of those things. He came because he was very disturbed in his heart. Until Jesus appeared on the scene, he was very feeling very comfortable with his righteousness. Because he was living according to his truth. Then truth started walking on the streets of Jerusalem. And he was, when he encountered him, he got really flustered. And he came in the night to find out what is true. 
And Jesus told him one thing. Nicodemus, let me tell you something. Unless you are born from the spirit, born from above, you will never see, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Do you understand the tragedy of millions of Christians who actually like Nicodemus know scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 1 so well, so well, better than most of us sitting over here yet have never seen nor entered into the kingdom? Because they don't have the courage to encounter the truth of God. They like Nicodemus come in the night and live in the night. They don't stay in the light. They live also in the night. Samaritan woman, oh he goes all the way out to meet her and the discussion is about water. She has come in the midday hour for water. No woman comes in the midday hour. They come in the morning or the evening so you know there is a problem with her. She's avoiding everybody to come in the afternoon hour to draw water. Jesus is waiting for her over there. They talk about water and then he says, the water that I give if you drink, you will thirst no more. She with her carnal mind, exactly like Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, when it comes to the kingdom, the wisest and the most foolish are at par. When he said, you must be born again, Nicodemus says, how can I, how can I go back to my mother's womb and be born again? Why? He's thinking with his carnal mind. Jesus said, the water I give you, if you drink, you will never thirst again. She's thinking, that's a good one. If I get that water, I don't have to come to this well again. Did you see the carnal mind at this level or at this level is not able to see the kingdom. Cannot see the kingdom. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. To be spiritual discernment, you need to be born from above. As soon as she says that, he said, go get your husband and come. Why do you have to bring your husband to get water? Because she's got an issue in her marriage which has blocked her. She said, I have no husband. He said, verily, truly you have spoken. You had five husbands and you are living with the sixth one. What is encountering over here? What's happening over here? When he said about receiving eternal water, he's talking about grace. He says, if you need that grace, everlasting life, we need to have a little encounter with the truth about you. Because she was willing to receive the truth, what does now the heavenly father and his new daughter, Samaritan daughter, start discussing? They start discussing about worship. Because the first response to salvation always is worship. Able worshipped God. That's the first thing written about faith. Worship. The first response to salvation always is worship. Not work. It is worship. It's worship. And immediately you see this little one in the eyes of the world has already encountered the kingdom of God and they are talking about worship over there. So we need to realize this is how the kingdom of God works. Grace and truth goes hand in hand. Remember the healing at the pool of Bethsaida? What do you want? Do you want to get well? Discussion. Pick up your mat. Walk. He walked. He went. He had no clue who healed him. But he goes to the temple. 
That was interesting. Most people in our crusades who get healed never come to church. But he went to church. Therefore he was interested in more than a healing. He was searching for the healer. And Jesus met him there. Jesus met him there. And when Jesus met him there, he had a word to speak to him. Now it's not grace. It's about how to receive grace. You need to encounter truth. What did he tell him? Don't sin again. Don't sin again. Otherwise something worse will happen. Understand, why did you come to church today? If you have come to church today like the man at the pool of Bethsheda, you will hear from him. He will have a word to speak to you. Why did the crowds and the disciples leave Jesus? Was it because of grace? No. Did anybody leave Jesus by saying, you are not very compassionate today, I don't want to follow you? Was that the reason? You are so unkind to me. Was that the reason? Was he less merciful? Was it because of lack of love? No, why did they leave him? Because of the truth. What did they say? This is too hard a teaching. Hard, hard, hard for, for them to receive it. It was not hard for Jesus to teach it. It was very hard for them to receive it. So understand, people left Jesus and people leave Jesus not because of grace, but because of truth. But grace and truth goes hand in hand. When the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, everybody is standing there ready to condemn under the law. And he's upholding the law. He won't break the law. Because what he's upholding is the truth in the law. Because truth has declared if you commit adultery you should die. That is the letter of the law. What is the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law is that if you commit adultery, your marriage will die. The life in the marriage will die. It will go. That is the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is kill the adulterer. So they brought her and said, what should we do? Has he come to break the law? No, he has come to uphold the law. So what does he say? Anyone who is without sin, let him cast her. First stone, he says, I uphold the law and I will prescribe the punishment according to the law. He didn't say anyone who is without sin, let him cast a knife. That is not written in the law. It is said, said she should be or he should be stoned to death. He says, cast a stone. Go ahead. Suddenly, everybody left. Everybody left. Then he asks, is there nobody to accuse you? And she says, No. Now again he has to uphold the law. What does the law say? You cannot judge anybody without two or three witnesses. Who says that? The law says that. He says, there are no witnesses. But I know you have sinned. I know you have sinned. Why? What does he say next? Go, sin no more. Sin no more. God is saying, I don't need witnesses. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. I know you are guilty. Go, sin no more. It is grace and it is truth. Go, you are free. That is grace. Sin no more. That is truth. Sin no more. Or next time you won't be set free. So please remember. Grace and truth goes together. 
If you don't walk in truth, he says, grace won't sustain you ultimately. Ultimately, grace won't sustain you. Grace will take you for a season. But if grace has to take you into eternity, you and I have to encounter truth all our life. Again, we saw on that Saturday, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are there three different people or is it one person? It's one person. How wonderful it would be. Like if people said, you know, Pastor James is the way, Vijay is the truth, and Eric is the life. They will say, you know what, I will leave Vijay. I will go to Pastor James and I will go to Pastor Eric. So nice. Vijay, we will leave him alone because he is the truth. I'll go to Pastor James. He's so kind. He's the way. And Eric is so young and full of life. I will go to him. Does it work that way? Because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Problem is, all these three happens to be the same person. There's only one way to life. Only way, one way to life. That is Jesus. The problem with that life is in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, scripture says, 7, 13 and 14, scripture says, straight is the gate. KJV will use the word straight. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. There are few who find it. Very few, he says. Finds the way that leads to life. It's not that people will not find ways. People find lots of ways. But he says very few find the way to life. Every advertisement is offering you more life. But a different life. Not the life Jesus is from. He says it's very difficult. It's difficult the way which leads to life. And that's the problem. Because Jesus said I have come to give you life and life in abundance. So if the way is there and the life is there at the end of the road... Why does he say very few will find life? He's not saying very few will find salvation. Salvation is the beginning of life. He says very few who will find this life he's talking about. Jesus the life. Who will reach the end of the road where they are able to declare, Oh Lord Jesus, like Paul says, you are my life. Why? Why is it so difficult? The problem is, it's not with grace. The problem is, on that way to life, there stands a gentleman called truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Truth stands in the way. Remember the young, rich young ruler? Oh boy, Jesus loved him, so we have to love him. He came, fell on his knees and said, Master, how do I receive eternal life? Did he come for a miracle? Did he come for a sign? Did he come for a wonder? No, he came for life. Jesus said, keep the commandments. So is he denying the law? No, he says, keep the commandments. What did he say? Unlike all of us young people, what did he say? I have kept them all from my youth. Did you know that? That young rich ruler who is outside the kingdom probably today and rotting in hell had kept all these commandments from his youth. And we who have never kept it from our youth is hoping to get in. 
said, I've kept it. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Who wouldn't love a good-natured young man, disciplined, well-mannered young man? He loved him. And then what did he say? One thing you lack, one thing. Sell all that you have and follow me. And the scripture said, he was a rich man. His face fell, he became very sad and he walked away. Why? Because he encountered truth. He encountered the truth about himself and he couldn't handle truth. Though he had come to the way that leads to Life. He had come to the very way that leads to life, but truth he couldn't handle. And I'm telling you, if anybody sitting this in the hall and been sitting here for weeks and months and years together, if Jesus finally comes and ends up in hell, it was not because there was an abundance of grace. It's because you did not deal with truth in your lives and you chose to live a lie and pretend to be something which you were not consistently before God and before man. That's the reason truth stands in the way. You have to deal with truth with God. Daily. Daily. Truth with God. You don't fool around with God. Rich young ruler couldn't deal with the truth. But Zacchaeus dealt with the truths. That's the problem. Immediately they all get upset and they say, Lord, Jesus said, you know what? How difficult is it for a rich man to enter into heaven. Even a camel can go through. It's more easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter. And all of them said, you know what? And who can be saved? Who can be saved? Jesus said, I will show you who can be saved. He goes into Jericho. Zacchaeus gets saved. The richest man in Zacchaeus gets saved. He comes out of Jericho. The poorest man in Zacchaeus in Jericho gets saved. Who is he? Bartimus. Two names are given. Zacchaeus, the richest man. Bartimus, the poorest blind beggar. The richest and the poorest enter the kingdom of God. God says what is impossible with man is possible with God. So there we stand. And we saw last week on Saturday. There is a way to eternal life. There is a real, real spiritual way, a road. And the same illustration that I used that day, I will use it for you too so you understand. Remember this narrow way. Remember the narrow way to Jivan Jyoti. It's a very narrow way. On the way, a truck breaks down. And the whole road is blocked. First comes the sumo full of our young Heroes from Jesus. Sumo gets in the road and decides the road is blocked. And now it is trying to reverse. Next comes all these beautiful young ladies who are coming in the eco. And as they enter into the lane, they see the eco, sorry, the sumo reversing. So they stop. And the third car coming is Pastor Vijay's car full of little children. They see and they don't even enter. They stay away. Now, what is the problem? Why is the first car reversing and the third car trying to turn and the second one and the third is not even entering? What is the problem? The problem is on the road, a truck has broken down. The first vehicle broke down in the street and all it starts affecting the movement for all the others 
in the road. Now we turn to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot even enter. What is equity? Equity, the simple word explanation is fairness or impartiality. Equity, fairness or impartiality. What is scripture saying? Because truth has fallen down in the middle of the street or in the middle of the lives of God's own people or the nation of Israel or the church or an individual, truth has fallen. What happens? Justice is turned back. God wants to be just to you, but he turns back. Righteousness stands far off. He so dearly wants to declare you righteous, but he cannot. It stands far off. And fairness, equity cannot even enter into your life. All because one person has fallen in the middle of the road and his name is truth. Truth has fallen. Truth has fallen. Now remember we looked at it in the beginning. Righteousness. Justice, all connected with truth. This is the kingdom of God. Is grace there? Yes. Is the power of the Holy Spirit available? Yes. All that is available. Everything is available where you have the power to even overcome death. Walk into the fire of death. Die and go to the other side without blinking. Every power possible is given to the child of God. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm you. No power of the devil, no demon can actually harm you because he says, I give you power over all of them. But we are not able to receive that power. Why? Because truth is fallen in the street. Don't look at about other people's truth. We don't want to know about your neighbor's truth, your wife's truth, your son's truth, your husband's truth. The only truth we need to be worried about is your own truth. Is truth fallen in my life? That's the only truth we need to be concerned about. No other truth. Jesus came with grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, the very fullness of the Holy Spirit, willing to give the same spirit with his fullness to anyone. Only thing he said is that, I am also the truth. Can we be rescued from our situation? Yes and no. No, because truth has fallen in. Yes, if truth will stand up again in our lives. The minute truth stood up in Zacchaeus' life because it was a public sin and he had stolen from the public, he acknowledged it publicly and said, from whomever I have stolen, I will give four times over. And he said, you know what? But it has to go beyond that. Because sin is something that is outside, visible to man. Everybody knows Zacchaeus is a thief because when he goes collecting taxes, he takes more than that is required. So everybody knows he's a thief. Outward sin is very visible. But there is inward something that empowers sin. Unless that is broken, you will always go through the cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. In this cycle, like the children of Israel, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, eating, drinking, sleeping, dying. Never reaching one centimeter closer to the promised land, which is the life that has been promised to them. 
There is a life that has been promised to them. What is that? Every one of you will have a plot of land. You will have houses which you did not build, wells which you did not drink, gold and silver and flocks which you did not rear. That is a physical type of life that has been promised to them. It is waiting for them on the other side. They are starting this journey. They never finish the journey. Yet they are moving. How are they moving? In circles. This is the same story of the church. There is the life that has been promised, the life of Jesus, the life that overcomes sin, the life that overcomes the devil, the life that overcomes the world. He says, I will give you life upon life upon life upon life and you will triumph over all the powers of darkness. Do people ever achieve it? No. Why? Because truth is fallen on the ground. That's simple. Because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Our issue is with truth. Our own truth. Our own truth. Don't worry about anybody else. So remember ultimately what will happen. The very multitudes, the crowds that had experienced grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace of Jesus Christ in terms of miracles, healings, signs, wonders, feeding, Ultimately, they got so annoyed with the truth, the same crowds handed Jesus over to be crucified. The reason people fall away from faith and walk away from faith is not because of the sin of others. It's because you or I did not deal with the truth in our lives. We pin it on somebody else and says, I'm walking away. You're walking away only because you did not encounter truth in your own lives. Because God doesn't have grandchildren. He has only children. Your father's sin cannot take you away from God. That's what Jeremiah means by saying, the fathers ate sour grapes. The children's teeth will not be set on the edge one. Each one will die for their sin. Not for the father's sin. Iniquity is a different thing. But you don't die because of that. You don't stop getting saved because of your father's iniquity. No. That you can break and walk away. You go to hell because of your own sin. Not because of your father's sin. These are all excuses. The real reason is we want to live a life that is hidden from God. It is good to have a life that is hidden in God. Truth is the issue. With most people, truth is the issue. The rest are all just cover-ups. All cover-ups because he came to give us life and life in abundance. Abundance. The same multitude who had experienced all the signs and wonders from Jesus is the same crowd that handed him over to Pilate that day. Two kings are standing face to face. One represents the kingdom of God. The other represents the kingdom on earth, the Roman Empire, Jesus and Pilate. Do you know what they spoke that day? In John chapter 18 verses 36 and 38, scripture says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you can say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that she should bear witness to the truth. He said for 4,000 years, from the time of Abel, man has been talking about truth. Today, you want to know what truth is like if it has two legs? This is the witness of truth. I am the truth. And everyone who is 
of the truth hears my voice. Have you heard the voice of God lately? Have you heard the voice of God lately? As lately as this morning? If you haven't, it's because truth has fallen in your street. Truth is fallen in our seed. Because unlike every other religion, we serve a living God who calls us his, us, his children and he have a father and he speaks. He speaks. He speaks. Our issue is with truth. Our issue is not with grace. For this reason, he said, I have come. Everyone who is of the truth, he says, hears my voice. If you don't hear, understand it's only because we did not, we did not receive the truth. The danger is this, if we don't receive the truth, we will not partake of his life. The life that overcomes. We'll continue to struggle with our sins, dwell in our sins and drown in our sins while grace is just waiting there. And righteousness is just waiting there. Equity is waiting there. Justice is waiting over there. You know why? Because we don't acknowledge our failure with truth. He's not there to condemn us. He says, will you acknowledge? That's all he's saying. All the zakes had to say, well, this is what I am. He says, salvation has come. You Can you change truth? You can't change truth. Zacchaeus, let us say, has stolen for 20 years. On the 21st year, he declares, I am a thief, I was a thief, here I return the money. Does he change his past? No. He will be called a reformed thief. That's all the world will call him. Can you change your past? No, you can't. But God can. The only one who can change your past is God. The only one who can change your future is God. I can't change my past. You can't change your past. But God can. And it doesn't matter now what the world says. The world all around in Jericho can say, Chore, 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 chore about Zacchaeus. God says, son of Abraham. Salvation is coming to his house. That's the only judgment that will ultimately matter. 2,000 years after the death of Zacchaeus, no one calls him a thief. They call him a son of Abraham. Son of Abraham. That's what God is talking about. We cannot change most of the things of our past. If Zacchaeus had been a poor man who had stolen and lost it all and he stood up and acknowledged God would have said, that's fine, that's okay. You can't return it anyway, I forgive you. Many, many, many cases the restitution cannot be made. But sin can be acknowledged. Can be acknowledged. Unless truth stands up in our own streets. Church, we will struggle in receiving this life, that overcoming life of God. And we'll get lost on that very street, on very road to life. That's our issue. We have received grace in vain. You know grace in vain? Scripture talking about receiving grace in vain, falling short of grace. That's the children of Israel. 40 years experience every goodness of God. Yet did they reach the promised land? No. Like I keep asking, um, what's your favorite food, Deepika? 
బిర్యానీ నో ఎస్ దీపికా లవ్స్ బిర్యానీ దీపికా నెవర్ ఇన్వైట్ మీ టు యువర్ హౌస్ వెన్ యూ మేక్ ది బిర్యానీ ఓకే ఓన్లీ గివ్ మీ రోటీ ఓకే బిర్యానీ బట్ దీపికా వుడ్ యూ లైక్ టు ఈట్ బిర్యానీ ఫర్ బ్రేక్ఫాస్ట్ లంచ్ అండ్ డిన్నర్ ఫర్ ద నెక్స్ట్ ఫార్టీ ఇయర్స్ నో ఈవెన్ షీ డజన్ వాంట్ ఇట్ do you see what happened to the children of israel manna in the morning manna in the afternoon manna in the night manna 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 is healthy but do you really want to eat the same food for the next 40 years no the children of israel as soon as they crossed in the promised land and crossed river jordan scripture says manna stopped and they started eating barley why god says variety is for the overcomer not for the others the one who doesn't overcome what does he know jesus has lord forgive me 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 what is he doing walking with god in circles the overcome is walking with god on a straight line he knows jesus differently each day because god is able to reveal himself to him today you have barley i am barley today you have wheat i am wheat today you have again manna yes lord the old taste it tastes good you experience me differently each day have you grown knowing him Why are you just satisfied with manna? Yes, he forgives. But don't die in the wilderness. He forgives. Understand, there is so much more to this life God is calling. So much, so much more. Why were the same people, scripture says, destroyed whom God brought out? He says, both in Corinthians and Jude, God brought them out and he destroyed them. God brought them out and he destroyed them. What destroyed them? Grace? Grace? grace protected and kept them well fed fat little chunky monkeys walking around in the desert nobody died because of an illness scripture is very clear none was ill nor feeble on among them this fit fellow fit 6 foot 3 fit built like samson will fall dead why because he turned 40 years when jesus pronounced the curse he was 21 it didn't matter how healthy you were at 61 you died can you ever imagine you preserve you exercise regularly you take your vitamins you eat so healthy you never drink you never smoke you are so health conscious at 61 you have a heart attack and you die that was the story of the children of israel nobody drank nobody smoked they had their vitamins regularly they were so healthy they were fit they walked every day exercise they were so fit at the end of 40 years it didn't matter who it was even if it was moses he died you didn't live one day more than 40 years why because you wouldn't receive truth in your lives that is what we need to understand seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness god says righteousness truth justice righteousness equity they are all intimately connected in hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 scripture says to the son he says your throne o god is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom your kingdom is a kingdom of truth and the scepter of your kingdom is righteousness that is where we stood if you don't preach truth 
cannot be declared righteous. You cannot be declared righteous. No justice of God will come into our life. Equity stands far away. Ultimately, we will perish with a bank full of grace and try, die as beggars. Can you imagine when you are dying, somebody tells you, what is this? Uh, that is my ATM card. Have you ever used it? No. Oh, how do you use it? No, you come with me. You are in the last stages. He takes you, he puts you in you, and he punches your number. <gasps> Ten million in my name? Yes, and you die. That's how Christians die. Bank full of grace. Full of grace. Couldn't withdraw anything because truth was not working. Full, full of grace. That's what scripture says. He came full of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. But there's a problem with that verse. Isaiah 59 14. Scripture says truth is fallen in the street. He's only fallen. Truth as Jesus Christ did not fall in the streets of heaven. He fell in your street and my street. Truth is only fallen. Truth does not die. It can fall on the street. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But one thing alone you cannot do. That is you cannot kill it. Because Jesus does not die. Even if he dies he rises back to life. That's what scripture says about the first man who died for truth. Even though Abel is dead, he still speaks. Why? Truth does not die. It does not die. Second thing about truth, the problem with truth is everything changes, but truth never changes. Oh, how we wish truth changes. Truth doesn't change. Why? God never changes. That's what I said. The problem with truth is truth is a person and the person of God. And the word of God is truth. It never changes. It has the power to change me, but it itself will never change. Third thing you need to realize is without truth, the way is blocked. There is no way to life. Without truth, there is no way to life. Hallelujah. Someone didn't and it's beginning. Everybody thinking that I've encountered truth. Now let me run from it. No, you can sit and enjoy it a little more. Truth, judgment, justice, equity, righteousness. They are all intimately connected. Why does God ask us to meditate on his law? In Joshua 1, verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written, for then you will make your way prosperous. Your way will become prosperous, because that's the way to life. Meditate upon my word day and night. In Psalm 1 and verse 2, the psalmist says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. 
In Psalm 119 and verse 97, scripture says about David, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Really? Do we meditate on his law day and night? His word day and night? Why? Why did Jesus say, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law? Why did he say that? In Matthew 5, 17 to 20, he will say, Do not think I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. No. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your... So law is connected with righteousness. I'm not talking about the Levitical law. I'm talking about the spirit of the law. It is connected with righteousness. Understand the law came through Moses. Truth came through Jesus Christ. But do you know what the lawgiver ultimately will say in the last breath of his life? You know what the lawgiver will say? You know what he says? The very lawgiver at the end of his life, worldly speaking, he lost everything. He's not even allowed to enter in the promised land. Do you know what he says in Deuteronomy 32 verses 1 to 4? Can I have it in KJV? Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. Verse 3. No, verse 3. Because I will publish the name of the Lord and ascribe ye greatness unto our God. We sing this song. He is the rock. Look at verse 4. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Did you see that's how he ends his life? Declaring what God is. All of us must come to this point in our lives one day. Look back at our lives and be able to say, Lord, you are the rock unchangeable. Thank you, Lord. I guided my life ultimately at your truth because you did not change. You are the unchanging rock. Your work is perfect. You have done your perfect work in my life. Why? Because all your ways are judgment or justice. A God, God of truth and without iniquity, which here means injustice. You are just and Upright. You know that song? Keep singing that song. You see, our major issue, when even we, our struggle with worship is when we sing those songs. For us, those sing songs are lyrics. They are not life. But the people who wrote the hymns, those songs were not lyrics. They were life. They were expressing the life of Christ in them. For us, they are just lyrics, but doesn't matter. Keep on singing until it becomes life. He says, justice, judgment, truth, just and upright you are. Because what we hear today, everywhere, is the cry is for justice. What do people say? It is not right. It is not just 
right. It is not fair. Meaning equity. It's not fair. God says, you really want to know what justice is? He says, meditate upon my law day and night. Meditate upon my word day and night until it soaks into your spirit. He said, just don't read scripture. Meditate. Because the words of God is the very life of God, the very spirit of God. Truth, judgment, justice, equity, ultimately will lead to righteousness. The scripture of his kingdom is righteousness. How many of us want to rule when Jesus comes? That's what his promise. No, Everybody wants to rule. Power. But the question God is asking is, how can you rule then if today you don't welcome the judgments of God and accept he is right and upright and just without sin? Can we? Because this is the promise that is given. Everybody is going to rule one day. Justice. That's a cry. You, the um, American election is better than any any Hindi movie serial. It's a joke in the last days. You listen. Everybody is saying, I am right, you are wrong. And everybody is crying out for justice. But nobody wants truth. We have to remember about justice very clearly. Today, now, fundamentally, listen carefully because by chance, someone of you becomes a lawyer one day or a judge one day. Understand, fundamental, basic principles of justice. Because even if you don't become a lawyer or a judge, you understand these fundamental principles and grow in it. You will be commented by God one day. One of the first things when you all cry, it is not fair. It's not fair. When you are given little chits to write and put in the box without your name as what are the issues you are facing, I read them. The cries out all for injustice. You think you are facing injustice. First thing you need to understand in this life, only God is perfect. Only God has perfect justice. Therefore, only his justice is perfect. Did you get it? God is truth. Therefore, only he is 100% just. And only his justice is 100% correct. You have to be very careful about this. Because if you and I want to receive justice, judgment has to be executed. Judgment can be based only on what truth is. And there is only one person, one person alone who knows the whole truth. Who is it? God. Not even we ourselves know the truth about ourselves. There's only one person who is truth. We learn about truth. We hear about truth. We try to apply truth. But he is truth. Therefore only he is just. And only all his ways are justice. 
truth our truth not god's is usually based on what you know what somebody did that's not god's truth that's our truth therefore be very careful when you think and talk about justice people must not be punished for what we think they did a lot of you people are angry a church like this full of orphans and single mothers will be very angry deep inside there is a lot of anger why are you angry because you are angry because of what you think somebody did maybe your father your mother your husband your wife your children whatever you are angry with somebody because of what you think they did but people must never be punished for what we think they did they must not be punished for what they appear to be doing appear to be doing let me let me give an example you went to the sujitra for something and you saw sami standing near the wine shop at the wine shop not near at the wine shop buying a bottle of wine you saw it anywhere before you know you know half the town already knows because newspapers are not needed today twitter chatter no all this sami drinks what does sami do sami drinks because how did he make that judgment because he appeared to be buying wine to drink you assumed the second part but what if my wife sent him to buy a bottle of wine to marinate the meat she didn't she has not but i am telling you an example people should not be punished for what they appear to be doing people should not be punished for what someone accuses them of doing they should not be punished for what we think they are doing they should not be punished for what they appear to be doing they should not be punished for someone else accuses them of doing that is what it means about jesus in isaiah chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 what does it say with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked can i have verse 3 also verse 3 also in 3 he says he will not judge by what he sees or what he hears verse 3 will say he will not judge by what he sees or what he hears his delight is in the fear of the lord and he shall not judge by by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of why why not lord because he says i have come in the flesh i have not come in the spirit i have come in the flesh in the flesh when i am coming i am not going to judge anybody by what i see or what i hear i will judge them in righteousness as the spirit of my father reveals it to me i will not judge anybody by what i see or what i hear because even the best of men the most just among men can go wrong and they can make a judgment based on evidence as it appears as it appears what somebody says or what it appears you know the classic example of an incredibly just man in the bible david 
David is running out of Jerusalem because Absalom has taken over city and the throne. So David is running out of Jerusalem and is escaping out of Jerusalem. When he's escaping out of Jerusalem, many people meet him. One of the persons who meet him is Ziba. Ziba is the servant of Mephisobeth, the grandson of King Saul, the son of Jonathan, whom in act of grace, God had restored him his father's estate and made him sit at his table. Ziba comes with a lot of food and cakes and everything. David asked him a question. In 2 Samuel 16 verses 1 to 4, when Ziba comes, he asks him a question. He looks at all this and says, where is Mephisobeth? When Mephisobeth was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephisobeth, who met him with a couple of saddle donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 cluster of raisins, 100 summer fruits and skin of wine. And the king said to Zima, what do you mean to do with this? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. Where is your master? Where is Mephisobeth? What did Ziba say? Oh, he is staying back in Jerusalem because he's thinking you have fallen and the people will arise and give me my grandfather's throne. You know immediately what David says in verse 4. So the king said to Ziba, here, he may be off the throne, but he's still king. He says, all that belongs to Mephisobeth from today is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I might find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Months later, battle is over, Absalom is dead, David is returning. When David is returning, there is another scene. This time, David meets Ziba and Mephisobeth. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Now Mephisobeth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephisobeth? He looked at him and said, when I ran from Jerusalem, when I was living, Ziba came, why didn't you come with me? Why didn't you come? What does he say? He said, my lord, my king, your ser- my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. But he slandered, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. He said, you know, lord, I wanted to come. But you know, I am lame. I wanted to saddle and get in. But what did you do? He left me behind him. He took off. And then he came and told you all these stories about him me. Did you see the judgment David made earlier? Listening to the report of somebody else? Now David is caught. He doesn't know what to do. Who is right here? Ziba or Mephisobeth? So he says, what does he say? For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king, yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out anymore to the king? So the king said to him, why do you speak anymore of your matters? I have said. Now he says, okay. I don't know who is right, who is wrong. He says, okay. Divide the property between the two of you. I had given it to you. Then I gave it to Ziba. Now I'm caught between these two. I don't know who is true. So do, I will divide it. Take half half. 
What did he say? Mephisobos said to the king, rather let him take it all in as much as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. He said, I don't care. He can have it all. I have the joy that my king has come back to Jerusalem. So who is true? Did you see why it is so important to meditate upon his law day and night? Day and night. So that we don't pervert justice. We don't pervert justice. Most of our decisions are based and we punish people because of what we think they did or what they be appear to be doing or what someone else accuses them of doing. That's why the law was so very clear that no one should be condemned. No one should be condemned unless you have two or three witnesses. That is why even the wickedest of wicked queen Jezebel will try to get false witnesses to accuse Naboth so that she can kill him and get his vineyard. That's why God says false witnesses will be very severely judged. Why false witnesses power truth and power justice? So God says be very, very careful. Meditate upon my law, my word, day and night. Imbibe my righteousness into you so that when you start looking at people, you don't judge by what you see, you don't judge by what you hear, but in righteousness you will judge. Remember this. So do you want to be a lawyer? Nobody wants to be a lawyer. That's bad, sad. Because if you want to be a lawyer, what do you learn? Law. Do you want to be an advocate? Better sounding term. Do you want to be an advocate? Nobody wants to be an advocate. Because now they heard about truth, righteousness, justice and all. Nobody wants to be an advocate. But why don't you want to be an advocate? Why not? 1 John 2, 1 says, 1 John, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an If Jesus is an advocate, why doesn't anyone want to be an advocate? But do you see something about this advocate? He appeals only for his brothers who sin. He's an advocate of his brothers. When we fall and we cry out, he contends for us in the Father's presence. He's an advocate. Only a sinner needs an advocate. If you don't accept truth and acknowledge you are a sinner, do you need an advocate? Can Jesus speak on our behalf in heaven? No. Jesus is the original brother's keeper. The question is, are you your brother's keeper? Or are you your brother's destroyer? Now ask yourself, am I an advocate? Do I uphold the law? Do I uphold justice? Do I uphold his righteousness? Or do I falsely accuse? There are only two sets of people who study the law. Very carefully and constantly. One is the advocate, the other is the judge. Do you know every judge keeps on studying the law and ultimately it's lawyers who become judges? 
John chapter 5 verse 22 For father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son so nobody wants to be a judge also no the savior happens to be an advocate and a judge acts chapter 10 and verse 42 he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by god to be judge of the living and the dead Acts 17 and verse 31. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. So you need to understand two things about Jesus. One, he is an advocate. Two, he is a judge. And he judges in righteousness. Therefore, it is imperative that every child of God, born of God, excels in the law of god the word of god so that we learn want to contend for our brothers who are living we become our brothers keeper so that we learn to be like him to be an advocate and two when we die in victory we can become a judge first corinthians chapter 6 verse 3 do you not know we shall judge angels Now let me ask you this question if truth has fallen in our ground in our way and righteousness stands far away equity doesn't even come justice doesn't come into my life if you and I do not grow in the righteousness of God which is connected with his truth and his justice do you have any hope of one day judging angels reigning and ruling with him no that is why God says meditate upon my word day and night do not let it depart from my mouth can we ever judge unless we know the law of god the very righteousness of god has become our life that is why scripture says i am the way i am the truth the truth has to ultimately becomes our life we are preparing for eternity so we have to learn one not to judge first we have to learn not to judge why because we cannot see clearly Matthew 7 verses 1 to 5 judge not that you will not be judged for with what judgment you judge you will be judged with the measure you use it will be measured back to you why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye first thing god says is don't judge why because we cannot see we don't have evidence we don't know the truth so be very very careful don't judge others second thing he says learn to judge learn to judge yourself daily very well grow in righteousness grow in the spirit why it is very important if you learn to judge yourself according to the truth of god and keep growing in life first corinthians chapter 2 verse 15 says he who is spiritual judges all things but he is not judged you can stand before god one day and god says like x-ray machine clean you can go nothing to judge why because you judge yourself daily you are a spiritual man You were not busy judging others you were busy judging yourself you judged third thing you need to realize you only judge authority children look here very carefully never judge because god has given you children no authority 
except over yourself. Don't judge your parents, whether they are there with you or whether they have left you or whether they are dead. Don't judge your wardens. Don't judge your teachers. Maybe because you are Jesus, you speak fantastic English and those teachers don't speak, don't judge them. Don't judge. You judge, God says, with the same measure you judge, I will judge you back one day. You judge your parents, you judge your teachers, I will tell you, if Jesus tarries to come, one day you will have a child who will look right in the face and says, you are good for nothing. You know why? Because you judged when you had no authority. Don't do that. Don't dare to do that. Don't judge. Judge. And don't judge where you have no authority. No authority. Be careful about these things. Third thing, remember. Every judgment we want and we make is very temporary. Very temporary judge. Final judgment is set for another day. The Bible forever calls it the day of judgment. Honestly, I don't know how long that day is because scripture also says a day is like a thousand years. This, all these people from Adam onwards have to be judged. So it's a very long day. That's the day another Joshua will arise and say, sun don't set, moon don't move because judgment is not over. This is called the day of judgment. Matthew 12 and verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account. First, he will talk about deeds in another place, words in one place. He says, don't worry. Every word you have spoken, text, SMS, emailed, if has not been repented and forsaken, is lying in God's server. Hillary Clinton may be able to bleach her server. This server cannot be bleached. It will remain there. The only way you can remove it by is by repentance. The only thing that can clean it is the blood of Jesus. Nothing else will remain. Take it off. Therefore God says, on the day of judgment, everything will come. Everything will come. That day may be a thousand years. I believe, not I believe, I sometimes wonder logically, is it a thousand years? Why? Because in Luke 13, verse 32, scripture says, uh, Luke 13, no, not 12, I'm sorry, 13, 32. Luke 13, verse 32. He told them, go tell the fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. The third day I shall be, third day I shall be, The third day is coming is the thousand year reign of Jesus. Only the perfected saints will rule. All the others will be being, I believe will be being perfected in word and deed. That's not the way to talk. Change your language. That's not the way to text Yuhan. Change your text. You cannot hide anything during that thousand years. Jesus is ruling. Saints and ruling. Nothing is hidden. He will teach you how to text. Honestly. He will teach you how to mail. He will teach you how to talk. He will tell you what words are life and what words not to use. He will tell you what deeds are counted, what deeds should not be even be visible. He will perfect his people in that third year. 
But then you are not teachers in that thousand year. You are students. Well, the saints are teachers. I don't understand, but I'm presuming something is going to happen in the final year, the final thousand years. That is why it is good to learn the justice of God now. The righteousness of God now. The truth of God now. Rather than waste a thousand years learning it when you can learn it now. Understand the principles of judgment. Principles of judgment. Did you get it? Another thing which I want to tell you today. Another thing, married people especially, listen to this. In life, daily life, while dealing with issues, no two people may agree always on what is just. No two people may agree on what is just. Because we don't know the whole truth. We don't know the whole truth. It's one of the fundamental things of life. Judgment is the right sentencing of the guilty. In the old days in America, in the western nations, the west, the wild, wild west, if you called a man a liar, you should be prepared to fight and die. It's as simple as that. In the west. You called a man a liar, he will say, step out. He doesn't even say step out, he goes straight for his gun. It's as simple as that. Judgment, when you make a judgment, you are sentencing the guilty. But the question is, do you have the evidence? Two, do you have the authority? The punishment of the crime must be equal to the crime. Remember this. The punishment of the crime should be equal to the crime. This is the principles of God's justice in the Bible. Also, the rewarding of an individual must be equal to the deed performed. Both are justice and judgment. If somebody does a crime, the punishment should be equal to the crime. If somebody does something good, the reward should be equal to that good. Both is judgment. Are you understanding principles of justice? I'm not getting into details. Get these principles in your mind. Over the weeks we'll look at it. Another thing, remember. Punishment must be predetermined. Why so? Old Testament laws not only stated the wrong, but also stated the punishment. Why? Because justice cannot stand many calls. Sometimes we feel good, sometimes we feel bad. Therefore, we will not execute the same sentence for the same crime. Therefore, punishment must be predetermined. Therefore, in order to be just, it is good. The sentence has already been decided earlier. Imagine there is no predetermined punishment and I am a judge. And my son comes to my court. And I looked at him and said, that's my son. 
Why? Because there is no predetermined punishment. On the other hand, the law is clear, the crime is evident, the evidence is clear and the judgment is also very clear. When he says, Daddy, I will say, no, your honor. Say, Daddy. Look at him and says, excuse me, in the court, you shall address me as your honor. Because emotions have no role to play with justice. That's why Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, yes, my disciple. He says, I do not know you. You are standing now before the law. Emotions have no place over here. There was a time of grace for that. Now you are standing at another time. You are standing before the court. God uses the same yardstick in the Bible. Romans 6, 33. The wages of sin is? Is? Death. That's why we preach truth. What if he says wages of sin is two months imprisonment? Would anybody would be serious? Wages of sin is a vacation. Wow, everybody would be so happy. With wages of sin is death. Everybody is sinning. But it's very predetermined. Wages of sin is death. Therefore it doesn't matter who it is. The wages of sin is death. So even if it is your own son who appears in your own court, when you sit in that seat, you are upholding righteousness, truth and justice and the person is coming as guilty. And you pronounce, my father, he'll say no, address me in the court as your honor. Because I am here to uphold justice, not sanctify a relationship. Therefore, what do you hear? On Matthew 27 and verse 46 from the cross, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabastani. Why? My? Did he say my father? He didn't say my father. He was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because now he is being sentenced in the courtroom of God and the justice of God is coming because he has been declared a sinner. The wages of sin is death. And Mark will repeat in Mark 15, 34, the Aramic version, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabastani, my God, my God. Nowhere in any scripture when he is being judged, he says, my father, my father. No, he says, my God, my God, because he is the judge of all flesh. And flesh is being judged. Why? Because it's a justice system of God. In Habakkuk 1.13, scripture will explain, to wit, not Hebrews, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when wicked divorce a person? This part is talking about man. This is talking about God. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. Your eyes are so pure. You will not behold evil. Even if that evil is now on your own only begotten son, the father turns away and what does the son cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do we understand the justice of God? This is the justice of God and the righteousness of God when sin was put on the son. The father 
perfect in justice, judged man in the sun. Are you getting the picture? That is why we have to be very careful about the judgments we make. Slow to make judgments, yet grow in the righteousness of God. And as we grow in the righteousness of God, accept these principles of justice established by God. One of the principles is what I mentioned earlier. No two people can agree on what is just. There are so many areas in life which is not very clear. So we can agree to disagree. I must not reconcile your justice with mine. Now I am speaking to men. Young men, look here. Young men, married men, listen. Because you have heard so much about power, authority and order and all in this church, you have, you might sometimes run with it. All that has got to do with judgment and justice. But we must remember this. In so many areas of life, this doesn't even apply. I as a man, must not try to reconcile my justice with my wife's justice. Especially when the word of God is not clear. What does it mean in simple terms over which people fight? It means in my family, in my team, I will eat dosa. You can eat bread and be perfectly just. Because I am the head of the house from today, you should not eat dosa. No. Does scripture say anywhere that the woman should eat the same food the man eats? Does it say anywhere? Is there a law of God like that? Do you know how we apply the law in areas of our daily life where the law doesn't say anything? And we bring the authority of God over there when God will never, has never spoken about it. Now it's our justice, not the justice of God. We have to be very careful about these things because these are things connected with truth, justice and righteousness. For I could be wrong and the other person absolutely right. Or both could be wrong. Both could be absolutely wrong. I could be right and my wife absolutely wrong. My wife could be absolutely wrong and I could be absolutely right. Or both of us could be wrong. Absolutely. And we are still fighting about justice. Do I drink wine? Do I drink wine? No. Do I condone the drinking of wine? No. Have I come to any one of your houses and stopped you from drinking wine? No. Have I checked your closets for wine? No. Ask my wife when we are flying this time in the international flight and her BP was not well and she was dizzy. What did I ask her? Drink? Wine. What did I tell her? Drink wine. Why? Because it's good for BP. Did I uphold justice? What did Paul tell Timothy? Timothy, drink a little wine. Is he breaking the law? No. Is he upholding justice? Yes. So you can uphold justice by both drinking and not drinking. Because there are so many areas in the Bible which are absolutely gray. In day-to-day lives. The problem in families, we make a law out of things and destroy relationships. 
And we bring God's pecking order into that. I am the head. Mostly men, I am the head. The woman says, I am the neck. Because the truth we need to understand is only God is just and only he is just always. So we have to keep learning to reconcile our justice with his. Not saying you better reconcile your justice to mine. You better start thinking like me, walking like me, acting like me, talking like me, dressing like me. Do you want two men in the house? <laughs> no, I don't want. No, you, you better be yourself. Okay, I don't want. You know, what we demand and we call it we are being the head of the house and being just and right, we are not. What I must decide on the other hand, therefore each one of us men or women must decide is, are you sincere? If you are sincerely trying to be just, I must not get upset, even if you disagree with me on what I think is just. Therefore, because you are sincere, I must allow you to disagree. On areas which scripture is not clear, certain areas scripture is very, very clear, black and white. There you don't have to argue, it's there, it is written. But so many areas, can you say it is written? No. In day-to-day life. If only this is applied in our homes, we would not only save, but our marriages would thrive. I know you are sincere. I know you are sincerely wrong. But you know what? You haven't understood that you are sincerely wrong. Therefore, I am not judging you. Accept your sincerity. And Jesus did it. Our example is Jesus. In 1 John chapter 46 verse 47. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Do you think Jesus did not hear him? Of course he heard him. Instead, what did he say? He said, he saw Nathaniel and he said, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You know what? Look at that fellow. That's absolutely sincere. Even now he's sincerely speaking from his heart, though he's sincerely wrong. I like him. He's sincere. True Israelite. There is no deceit in it. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Wow, you are sincere. Will we say that? If somebody says, If Brinda is from Warangal, and I say, Can anything good come out of Warangal? Immediately she will start telling me about the Kakatiya dynasty. You have no idea about Warangal and our ancestors and once it was the capital and you know, it was a railway junction divided into Kasipet. Oh, we'll start talking about history, geography, science, rocket science also will bring in there. Here, Nathaniel is saying, can anything come good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus says, I like that man. He's sincere. He's sincere. He's sincerely wrong, but he's sincere. He made a judgment. He made a judgment. But he, there is not, no evil in his heart. He's a, he's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. He's a sincere guy. He's sincerely wrong this time. 100% wrong. I love him. You know what? I can correct him. Because his heart, there is no deceit. Really? 
Yes, verses 48 and 49. Next two verses, 48 and 49. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Next verse, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. What is he saying? I correct myself. A little five minutes earlier I said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now he's saying, out of Nazareth has come the son of God, the king of Israel. I stand corrected. God says, did I tell you he's a sincere kid? He just needs a little correction. If only we learn to live by those principles instead of fighting our things which are totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. In homes and in families. Because everybody wants to prove I am correct and you are wrong as if you are the custodian of truth. Amen? I'm not going into the next part. There's a lot to cover. But are you getting fundamental principles? Young people, are you getting fundamental principles? Young ones often sitting over here come from broken homes. So many of you. Are you understanding fundamental principles? When you misdirect your anger because of what you went through in life. Be very careful because you are judging. Judging. You heard me speak about my father so many times, right? Did you hear judgment in anything that what I spoke about my father? If I could actually stand back on saying because of that man, the whole family was ruined. Factually, right? But it is not true. In God's sight. And I look at him, enormous compassion. Enormous compassion. Look at my mother. Enormous compassion. Do you able to see people with compassion? Even this morning when I and my wife were talking about certain people, I say, I'm shaken inside when I see people who are people of God once the road that I'm taking. I'm shaken inside. Can't believe these people are actually doing and saying these things. Unbelievable. It shakes me up because Lord, where are they going? Where are we going? Do we see the justice of God and then start looking through the justice of God? Do you see why God says, love your enemies? Why? He says, do you know what that day means, the day of judgment means? Do you really, really want that person with whom you are so angry and bitter in hell? Do you know nobody comes out of hell? It's a place you don't want even your worst enemy to be. Are you able to see through the justice and the righteousness of God? Are we able to see? That is why we need to ask ourselves, Lord, Help me. Let truth rise up in my street. Help me to see others. And we grasp a sign of growing. The sign of growing is 
the burden increases as you grow with the Lord. Like I said last week, the last seven days of Noah's life on planet earth before it was judged. Does it look, do our hearts reflect that? Because we don't have much time before this world is judged. When you look around, what do you feel? What do you actually feel? How can God open doors for you if you do not have the compassion and the mercy of God in your hearts? Can you open doors? Do you know very little time is left? Very little. We are in the final, what you call the window of time, final window of time before like Noah's time, the ark door is shut. We are in the final days, the final hours before that door is shut. And when you see that and you yourself know you are safely in, are you going to sit there in your security? Or are you going to see the heartbeat of God for those who are outside? Like that, I, I, I understood that. It, it, like I said, one like, like about my language, maybe your language also has illustrations like it. They say it the way Jesus said in simple terms, which everybody understands. I gave you that illustration earlier. I'll repeat it again. We have what is called limited stop fast passengers in Kerala. It's limited stop. That is the law. Limited stop. It leaves Tivandrum. It's going to Kollam. It has two stops. That is all. Maybe one stop. But if the bus is empty, you show your hand, the driver will stop. Why? What is the purpose of the bus? To take passengers from point A to point B. What is the point of driving a bus empty from point A to point B for your salary? But have you actually taken the passengers anywhere? No. He will stop and the driver will say, I will get you in, but you have to pay the fare from Tivandrum and you will say, okay, no problem, I just want to go. But the problem is, once you have gotten, 10 kilometers later, another fellow shows his hand and when the driver stops, you are mad with the driver saying, isn't it not limited stop? If it was limited stop, would you have entered? Would you have entered? If it wasn't for the mercy of grace of God, would you have entered? If you entered through the mercy of grace of God, now that you have entered, why do you want mercy to stop in somebody else's life? Why? That is the problem. This is where we need to realize, where do I stand, O Lord? Where do I stand? We are so comfortable knowing that yes I, we are in this church we hear the truth I believe I repented I got baptized I attend every bible study I am waiting for Jesus to come yes good but what about the others who are left outside that's what Paul says for me to live or die is gain if I die I go to heaven but if I live it is good for you I have two purposes one is if I live I want to live for others if I die, I want to go to you. Very clear. And as I close, this morning, I heard an old pastor, Malayali pastor, while I was making my tea, priestess, it was so beautiful. He said, Peter said, you were not redeemed with gold and silver, but by the precious blood of silver. He says, isn't gold 
and silver the symbol of everything that the world is running after? Right? So you were not redeemed by gold or silver. You were redeemed by what? The blood of Jesus. So what is more precious than gold and silver? Can you answer that loudly? What is more precious than gold and silver? Once again? Wrong. What is more precious than gold and silver is you. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Because God considers you more precious than anything in this world. If that is true, once you are saved, why are you running after gold and silver and not running after the souls of your brothers? What is precious, truly precious in your sight? The brother or gold and silver? What is precious? There was something in God's sight more precious than the blood of his son. He says, it's you. You, you, you. You know what? I want to redeem you with the blood of my son. Once we realize you lucked yourself, then you understand what Jesus meant by saying, love your neighbor as yourself because you are the most precious set of beings ever known in history. God created angels. One third of the angels rebelled and went after with the devil against God. God did not become an angel to redeem an angel. Millions and millions and millions and millions of animals. God did not become an animal to redeem an animal though animal dies. Billions and billions of birds have come and gone. God did not become a bird to redeem the birds. Uncountable number of fishes in the ocean from time immemorial. God did not become a fish to redeem a fish. God became a man to redeem man. Do you know your value? Do you know the value of your brother? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. When God looks at man, he says, that man whom I created in my image, in my sight, is more precious than any angel, any creature, any animal, any bird, any fish. He is more precious than anything else. That's how you see truth. That's how you see righteousness. That's how you see justice. And therefore, God says, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And then he says, because God loved the world in that same way, brothers, lay down your lives for your brothers. There's no other gospel. No other gospel. There's only one gospel. That truth will set you free. That truth will set you free. No other truth will set you free. That truth will set you free. That every resource that God has given me in my life has been given to me for one purpose so that I eat, I strengthen and use the resources to save my brother. And then when I have spent my gold and silver that way, one day when I am in his presence, I shall walk on streets that are gold. But what gives you the joy 
to see that your brothers and your sisters have come in along with you. Don't get into the ark alone like Noah. Let not your ministry be a failure after having preached for 120 years. Nobody believed. Nobody believed. Nobody believed. Moses said, Lord, take my life. But don't kill them. Paul said, take my life. I wish only the Jews could be replaced. I could be died. Did you hear Noah say that? Did you hear Noah say that? Did you hear Noah clinging onto the door saying, Lord, if you're going to shut these people out, shut me also out. Don't be a Noah. Don't be a Noah. Cry out for mercy. Cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out for mercy, Lord. Your coming is so close. My father who left me, my mother who left me, my grandfather who abused me, my husband who abandoned me, my children who don't even call me, don't worry, cry out for souls. All those things doesn't matter because they made wrong judgments based on wrong information. Forgive them. Doesn't matter. Because another day is coming called the day of judgment where everybody will be judged on truth. Right information. Walk through that day. Green, God's green channel. Nothing to declare. Wow. Every time I go abroad and come back, I feel good. Nothing to declare. Nothing to declare. How we could enter heaven like that. Can you imagine? Nothing to declare. Oh, you try to escape into heaven saying nothing to declare. It won't be possible. God will say, hey, you, how come you are in the wedding feast without the right clothes? Customs officer is there also. We don't want that. We don't want that. Can we stand? Can we pray? Father, this morning we stand before you. We see, every time we see how your son walked on earth, full of grace, full of truth. All we cry out to you is teach us to balance that in our lives too, Lord, each day. As we grow, help us not to be unbalanced, full of grace, full of truth all the way. If truth has fallen in our lives, in our roads, in our hearts, I pray, Father, we'll cry out to you and allow truth to stand up again so that justice and righteousness might flow back in again. Equity would come back again. We need you, Lord. We need you. We are in the last few minutes of the last hour of the last day of time as you see it. Last few minutes left for humanity before everything goes out of control. Help us to see as you see. People as you saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel was cursing you when he said nothing good can come out of Nazareth. But you saw a sincere man who spoke his heart, though his judgment was wrong. Help us to show mercy like that to God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Yet uphold your truth. As we go into another week, 
May your presence, the spirit of grace and the spirit of truth accompany us and work in each one of us. Restore peace in homes, in lives, in offices, in organizations, wherever we go. Let righteousness, peace and joy follow us and be with us because we lifted up truth in our streets. I bless your people in your name. May the hand of the living God rest upon each one and comfort and strengthen and heal and deliver each one. Let there be provision in each home. Meet them at their point of need, O God. Thank you, Father. We as a people, God's people, now choose to lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name for who you are. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.